everyone. Welcome to the Badass Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Fox. I'm currently recording in beautiful cottage country, Ontario, so you may or may not hear some wildlife in the background. Just a warning. Before I get into today's segment, I just want to take a moment to say how amazing it was to meet up with some writer friends this past weekend, Sam McDonald and Bree Somerville, to go and support Blue Heron Books here in Southern Ontario for Indie Bookstore Day. We met the amazing Bianca Murray and Marissa Stapley and got books signed, and it was incredible. FYI, because I know many of you also listen to the Shit No One Tells You About Writing podcast, Bianca is even more amazing in person. Sam, Bree, and I hung out for the afternoon chatting about writing, books, and life in general, and it was so good to get out and meet some fellow writers that I've quote-unquote met in the writing community on Twitter. So I just want to say, if you have the chance to get together with some of your writing peeps that you know online, do it. It's the best. So moving on, today's episode will feature Canadian author Gillian McClory, But first, I want to talk a little bit about creating characters and the process that I use to flesh out a character. How deeply I dive into it depends on what character I'm developing. So obviously, your main character is someone that you really want to know very deeply. Some of the information that I cover may differ depending on the genre. So for example, the kinds of things you might need to know about your character in a romance novel may be quite different from the kinds of things you might need to know about a character in a thriller. And these things aren't necessarily on the page, but they are things that you should know about them in your mind or in your outline, because it helps you inform what kinds of decisions they'll make, what their actions are, what makes them tick. I have a detailed character development sheet that's divided into sections, personal details, physical appearance, likes, dislikes, and other miscellaneous things, what their theory of misbelief is, what they want, what they need, and then some other super detailed stuff that I'll get into in just a bit. Some of these things were sparked from craft books, like Save the Cat Writes a Novel, and some from fellow thriller author Becca Day, but I essentially created kind of an amalgamation of everything that I've learned to make a character development sheet, or sheets, let's not kid ourselves, that works for me. So I'll be making these available on my website soon, so watch out for that at www.kathleenfox.com. So the first thing I do is cover the basics. Name, birth date, physical appearance, immediate family members, where they live, are they married, do they have kids, what is their job, etc. The details that you reveal in the book should be ones that have some sort of place in the story. So for example, you might want to note that your character has a tattoo or a scar in a certain area, if that's going to come up at some point later on in the story, or if it's pertinent to their personality. Maybe if it's a tattoo, they got it for a certain reason, which can tell us something about them. So again, the details that you reveal on the page should be specific and meaningful to the plot. Some could be used as clues. So not everything that you write down in your outline in these character development sheets will be on the page. It's more so that you can get to know your character the best. You might want to know simple things like what their favorite color is, if they're a morning person or a night owl, their least favorite drink, etc. Things like have they ever broken a bone? This could be be very pertinent to the story. So let's just say you're coming up with a character who's going to be running in a race of some kind, and they and they may have had a bad break occur when they fell out of a tree as a kid, and now they get an injury that could re-break that bone since it's already not 100%, and maybe that's going to affect the outcome of the race. 
Other miscellaneous things are, are they close with their family members? Have they ever had surgery? What are they scared of? Do they like to travel? Do they have aversions to foods or smells? Do they have hobbies? So all of these things might seem a little bit mundane. And remember, the point isn't to tell your reader all of these things. You need to know your character inside and out. So the more deeply you know them, the more authentic they will be on the page. So going through a character development sheet is a really great way to do that. You also might recognize some of these questions as ones that I ask on Twitter. Every day I post a question for the writing community to help get you thinking about your characters or your plot or something to do with writing. It might also be something fun, um, but a lot of the questions that I ask are to do with your works in progress and hopefully to help get you thinking about how you're crafting your stories and your characters. So these are the kinds of questions that I ask, and these are the kinds of questions that I put in my character development sheets. Now we get into a little bit more nittier, grittier stuff. Something that your character must have in the story is a flaw, a misbelief about themselves, something that holds them back from reaching their true potential. This is an internal struggle that they have about themselves that's preventing them from reaching their goal, and it's going to help inform their character arc. If you're a fan of Save the Cat Writes a Novel, you'll recognize this as the Shard of Glass. So you should know things like how and when did it start? What happened to give them this misbelief? How long have they been living with it? How does it affect their relationship with others or their work or their view of the world? How does it affect their personality? How do they deal with stressful times that trigger this misbelief? Is it a secret from others? That's really important. What physical habit might they have as a coping mechanism? Some of these might be tells as well. And these sort of tells can be used in action beats during dialogue. And then, of course, you need to know what the character wants. This is the thing that the character thinks will make them happy and solve all of their problems. It's usually not. How do they plan to get what they want? What stands in their way? And then, of course, you need to know what they actually need. This may or may not be the same thing as what they want, but oftentimes it is not the same thing. What do they need to realize about themselves to reach the goal? When do they come to understand this? What's stopping them? How is this related to them getting what they want? And so now we get into the most detailed stuff. These are things that you may or may not wish to do. There's no right or wrong way to develop a character. But the thing to keep in mind is the more you know your character, the more you can understand what their motivations are, and the more authentically they will be presented on the page. You can do what's called an Enneagram personality test or a Myers-Briggs personality test. I won't get into everything that they cover, but I found both of them to be fairly accurate personality tests based on people that I know and myself, so it should be no different when creating a character. With either of these tests, after you know their basic details and a little bit about them, you can go really deep into their personality to find out all kinds of interesting details about what makes them who they are, habits, tells, emotions, things they struggle with internally, and how they might portray that externally, which is very often opposite to how they're feeling inside. So you can find these websites at enneagraminstitute.com and myersbriggs.org, and I'll of course put these in the show notes as well so you get the correct spellings. The other thing you can do, and I just find this super fascinating, is pull up their birth chart or natal chart from astrology websites like Cafe Astrology or Astro.com. Of course, I'll put those websites in the show notes as well. 
Now, these are not your typical horoscopes that you would find in, you know, your Sunday newspaper or something like that. These go way past horoscopes. These dig down deep into a personality based on the positions of the planets and stars in the sky at the exact moment of birth. And each of the planets and stars contribute to a different facet of someone's personality and their life path. And they're really interesting. So I do encourage you to try it out on yourself and see what it says about your own personality. And then you can determine if it's something you want to use for your characters. The aspects of the planets and other objects in the sky and what it can mean for a person's personality and characteristics and life path are so interesting. You can get surface level details, which are still more detailed than going through a regular horoscope, but you can also get sucked down into a rabbit hole, ask me how I know, because there is a lot of information out there on this stuff. But basically, you can get a fairly accurate look at who your character is in all the different facets of their life. And from that, you can pull out the details that really speak to you and use them to craft your character. One other thing that is super interesting is the use of tarot cards. I used to do little readings here and there, but it's not something that I've practiced recently. And even if you don't believe in tarot, or you're not sure how it works, it can still be an interesting way to help build your characters. I recently read an article on Jane Friedman's website by author, book coach, and tarot reader Margaret McNellis, and I'll put that link in the show notes. But this article takes us through a simple three-card poll that can help define your character. Go ahead and give it a shot. It's fun to do, and it makes you think and interpret and reflect. So these are just some of the ways that you can use to build your characters. They can really help you determine what their deepest fears are, what's their core motivation, what job they might have, how they might behave in social situations, how they behave romantically, what personality types or astrological signs that they get along with or not, and all kinds of other useful information. The last thing I do is to answer a whole whack of interview questions from my character's perspective, as in, I answer as if I was them. Sounds silly? Maybe. But I found it really, really interesting because sometimes your character's answers can be a lot different or more detailed than if you are to answer them from your perspective. Try it. I have about 50 questions that I use. Sometimes I change them out if I'm not using particular ones very often or if I come up with different ones or see other ones somewhere. And these can be found anywhere on Google or job interview questions sometimes can pertain to a personality. If you do anything like these things that I've mentioned when you're developing your characters, I'd love to hear how you approach it. Let me know on Twitter at underscore badass writers or Instagram at badass writers underscore podcast. My guest today goes over reading people's energy and I ask her about how she might use that to create her characters. Gillian McClory is originally from Ireland, emigrating to Canada with her family and settling in Toronto. Her career began in a newspaper editorial department, then branched out as a researcher. Wanting to be home and raise her children, she freelanced as a history columnist and editor, and then took the plunge to write that first book. Two books under her belt, both safely residing in her bottom drawer, she wrote her third book, A Certain Kind of Sadness, which was published in September of 2020. Her next book is scheduled for publication this year, 2022. Her website is at jillianmcclory.com, and her blog, Life's Brilliant Mess, launches this year as well. Jillian likes to keep busy. She also has a private practice in wellness therapy. 
Hi. Thank you so much for coming to chat with me today. I'm really glad you're here. Oh, thank you so much. This is so wonderful. I'm so appreciative. Yeah, these chats are always fun to have. Okay. First of all, let's talk a little bit about your background in editing for a moment. You worked in the newspaper editorial department and then as a freelance editor. So how did you land in editing and was it something you studied or you just always wanted to do? Well, actually, I goodness gracious, I haven't thought of this for so many years. It was so long ago. I was in a newspaper editorial department. It was a summer job and uh, writing was always going to be my pathway and any of the avenues that also came with writing was definitely part of the plan. Uh, so when this came up, I jumped at the opportunity. Um, it wasn't a very glamorous job. <laughs> Essentially, we pulled the stories off the ticker roll, fixed the grammar, checked names and, and places. We retyped them, and then we sent them off to another department. But I'm a sort of a modest methodical detailed worker um not so much in my daily life much <laughs> to the chagrin of my family but uh I did love the process and it was an excellent skill um I'm terrible at editing my own things but <laughs> I do have awesome an awesome best friend who's also an editor so that's great awesome. um but I do love the process and I did uh when I decided to stay home with my children, um, that's when I sort of started to do writing uh, more because I, I had left my job and I started to freelance after that with editing. It was a great job. It was such a great job. Just a note about editing your own work, too. I think that's the same probably for everybody, right? Because we know the story that we write and we don't always see it takes a bit to translate what we see in our head and put that on the page. And so our brain knows what the story is supposed to be. So editing it, I have found that, I mean, an editor needs an editor too, right? So it's, yes. <laughs> it's always interesting how that works. <laughs> it really is because you don't see the missing words. And no matter how many times you leave it um, and go back to it the next day. You still don't see it yeah. <laughs> because you've already written it in your head. Yeah. Uh, so it still comes out the same way yeah, exactly. in your head. But it's you like, do need a good editor for sure. Yeah, definitely. I always think about those um, memes or something on social media where there's purposely letters missing because your brain knows the words and it knows the order of the words and it just automatically fills things in and I think that's what happens when when you write your own work and when you try to edit your own work it's kind of the same thing no question no <laughs> question I mean Elka it just turns out Elka is uh is also an editor and my very, very best friend. Mm -hmm. um, but she gives it to me straight. You know, yeah. she slashes, <laughs> she <laughs> talks me off the ledge when it's not going well. Um, we'll even have like in-depth conversations about characters and plot. Uh, everyone needs a friend like that, you know, who's Definitely. also a writer herself, you know, who, who doesn't mind talking, you know, about yeah. the homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am lucky enough to have one of those too. That's <laughs> great. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so how about the history column work? Was history something that you've always found fascinating? Or you just kind I of do. fell into that too? Yeah. 
No, I love, I love history. I love reading biographies. I have since I was a small child. Um, I love chatting about it. I love researching it. I find it very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that even when I recently uh, decided to look at my, I was writing a blog about the first writer's notebook that I ever had. And uh, I called it my brilliant, messy life. And I read the first entry and I was surprised at how many details I captured of what was taking place at the time or things that I had read. But my whole career has really been about writing, researching and editing. So I love the whole idea of maybe doing a historical fiction one day. But one of the things that I found with this and how I sort of fell into it I wanted really to stay home with my children. I, I found that, you know, at the time I was the executive director of a research and training company mm-hmm. and I was at my desk like at 7 a.m. and I got home late and I really wanted to stay home. But no one tells you when you make that decision yeah. <laughs> after managing hundreds of people and millions of dollars that you grieve the loss of that self like you mm-hmm. really do. And you don't even know that you're depressed. Um, But I soon realized that I needed something for me. So I went to the local newspaper and they made me the weekend photographer. Oh, (laughs) and it was a great job. It really was. I covered fun stuff. And often I could take my family with me because they would enjoy the festivities. And I would go around and chat to people and take their photographs. But then I asked the publisher if there was anything else I could do. And she said that she had always wanted to run a history column. And she noticed that on my resume that I loved history. So I became a history columnist. Wow. I know. It was just great, great luck, really. Yeah. So I researched and I wrote those during children's naps. And then when the second baby came along, I'd started to really freelance editing. Uh, So that just became another compliment to what I was already doing. Wonderful. But I did that for quite a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Love, love the whole history thing. And my husband is a history buff. So that's kind of nice. Nice. I'm into genealogical research myself. So there's a lot of history in there. And and I've, I, I have found that in doing the research on my own family, it kind of branches off and I go down these history rabbit holes of, you know, the area that they lived in or things that were happening at the time and, and that sort of thing. It's really interesting. I know that's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, and so you went from editing and writing the history column to yes. writing your first book. So was writing novels something, again, that you'd always wanted to do? It sounds like that you knew yes. that your path was leading in that direction. Yes, writing a novel was always part of the plan. And I wrote my first novel during naps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a really good exercise in learning about, you know, character and plotting. Um, and I had sent that first sad little novel out, believe it or not, because I was so cheeky and didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really surprised that a few publishers uh, to my genuine surprise, sent me some positive feedback. And oh, that's wonderful. I know. They actually, when I think back, 
um, they gave me a few things to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they liked one of the characters and that she was funny and they thought that I should develop that character. So uh, I think my previous experience with writing and editing throughout my career really helped me build the discipline of going to my office and actually writing without anybody prompting me. Because I know a lot of writers have said to me over you know, ones that you've mentored along the way, they always sort of say the same thing. You know, how do you, you know, you sit down at your desk and, you know, you clean it out. (laughs) And I said, I never do that. I, when I sit down, I just, I just work. Yeah. And I think that discipline of writing the columns and only having uh, a certain time that I had to get things done before I sat down on my desk, I had to be really prepared. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was one of the great thing about working at the newspaper. Um, it helped me build that discipline. And even with the editing, you know, I was, it was emailed to me and I had, you know, can you have this back in 48 hours kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You really had to sort of organize yourself because I'm terrible at organizing my life, but I'm okay at organizing <laughs> other people's work. It's a crazy thing. I don't know. That was really, really important, I think, and made it a lot easier for me to sort of go to the desk. Yeah. So the two, you wrote two books before you wrote your debut. Your debut is A Certain Kind of Sadness. So what yes. did you learn about writing with your first two books, besides the, you know, the, the discipline in that, that changed how you wrote your debut? You know, that's a really good question, because I think one of the things the first two books did is I struggled to find my own pace. Um, I struggled to find my voice and really finding out what kind of writer I am. And that's when I realized that I'm completely driven by character. Uh, I mean, plot is important, but it means nothing if I don't understand the motivation of those plot points. Mm -hmm. So really figuring out what each character wanted was key for me. And honing dialogue, that really helped me trying to figure out who these people were and why they were saying the thing. Because I would sort of start in my head what I thought they would say and what is happening in the scene. And the next thing is, they're off to the races and yeah. I would just go with it. But I, I found that was very fascinating um, and sort of magical in a crazy kind of way. I don't, does that ever happen to you? Yeah, definitely. Dialogue. I, I, I enjoy writing the dialogue and it is always interesting to see what changes. I mean, you can plan dialogue only so much, right? And depending mm-hmm. on what the other character is going to say, it's going to, you know, it, it could take the conversation in a completely different direction. That can't always be planned ahead of time. So you do have to kind of feel out the characters and the situation and just kind of see how it goes. You can do all the planning you want, but it doesn't mean that it's going to go exactly the way that you think it's going to. No. And then they say something that, you know, you you have to have a lie down because, yeah. oh my God, what does this mean now? <laughs> It does. It changes the trajectory of everything that you thought you you thought. It's so fascinating. It's interesting, like you said, to see where the dialogue takes the characters. But Mm -hmm. that's why they often say that 
your first draft is you telling yourself a story. So you getting to know those characters and getting to know how they react to certain things and what the personalities are and, and how they interact together. And then once that first draft is out and it takes you wherever it takes you, then you can go back and polish it up. So I You know, that is so right. Yeah. What you said there, that you're just learning the story in the first draft, that's so true. I find that as well. Because yeah. by the time you get to the second draft, it can change so drastically. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And especially if you get input along the way, you know, yeah. so I like that, that it really is getting to know your people. <laughs> yeah. So with a certain kind of sadness, can you give us a little bit of a summary? Sure. I mean, I think that it's a contemporary kind of tale, you know, it's about family and insecurity, the really the insecurity of being a 20 something and the insecurity that love breeds mm-hmm. um, and loneliness and sadness. Cause the story has that. And a lot of people don't realize it when they read it, the, the story only takes place over a six week period. Okay. And uh, the main character, Rachel, um, she has, accepted a job in another city that she didn't really want and she doesn't want to live in the new city and she had been sort of working on this new fragile relationship with the man she had loved for some time and now she was moving away and while she is moving away all of the the sadness that comes with you're now moving you're out of school you're now moving on into a new pathway and the sadness that comes with that. And Mm. she had already been away. She had been overseas and she came back and she finished her education and she had been away for six years. And Mm -hmm. now this was her chance to sort of, you know, take a new path, (laughs) but this wasn't the path that she wanted. And, you know, I had uh, my youngest went away to university this year and her calling me and being sad about being away from home and all Mm -hmm. of those emotions that come with now you're a young adult out in the world. And it does come with a lot of, uh, a lot of insecurities and needing that net. So, and she needed a net Mm -hmm. uh, and she didn't feel that she had it when she moved to Ottawa she has all this time and she starts to really think about the things that she's done in her life and basically the shitty things she's done because that's what we concentrate we embrace the stuff that we suck at (laughs) (laughs) and all the good stuff we resist (laughs) yeah so that's really what it's about it's that that time in your life when you're sort of trying to figure out who you are and what you want Mm -hmm. and how it says it all in the in the title certain kind of sadness yeah (laughs) because there is a certain kind of sadness of you know growing up Mm -hmm. it's official (laughs) yeah and it kind of sucks (laughs) (laughs) uh that's where you're at when you're 20 somethings I don't think I want to be a 20 something uh certainly not now (laughs) it's hard that part of life is hard hard. (laughs) it is hard and so this was traditionally published traditionally published um, which was a great experience great experience great and that was actually my next question how was the publishing experience for you 
Well, it, you know what, it's a small publishing company, a small Canadian publishing company. And I was involved in the process, like when they were picking a cover, oh my God, they must have sent me like 15 covers (laughs) to choose from. Yes, it was great. And so uh, there were three that sort of were the ones that everybody liked uh, amongst the office and here at home. So when it was narrowed down to three, I really wanted the one that's on the book now. And uh, he liked another one. (laughs) Of course. So... He said, okay, then let's put it to a vote. And they, we, we did a um, sort of like vote for your favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was great. I got the cover that I wanted and, yeah. and he was very genuflective, you know, absolutely. Uh, you definitely, and it was online. It was fun. It was great. And mm-hmm. we got the cover. And so just being involved in the whole, whole process and anything I didn't understand, uh, you know, he was very open to conversation. The editor was also very open to conversation. So it was a, a very good process for my first time, you good. know, so yeah. uh, I can't say enough about that. And I was just so surprised when I got the email. You could have not, I was at a, I was at a dance competition uh, with my daughter mm-hmm. and uh for some reason, I don't know why, but she forgot something and I had to go back to the hotel room and my phone banged and I thought for certain it was my husband. So I was going to let him know how she was doing. And I looked and it was from the submissions editor mm-hmm. and she, I had to read the email a couple of times. <laughs> to make sure that I was understanding all of the words. Yeah. <laughs> and I just sort of fell down on the bed and just took a deep breath and said, okay, no, there's something wrong here. I think I just need to, I just need to read this aloud and read it slowly. Wow. So I was very, very, very shocked. Um, but, and it takes a while, like it takes like 18 months. Like that was 2018. Like okay. in January of 2018, and it didn't come out until uh, September 2020, which was not ideal, I must admit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Have you had a book come out in the pandemic? Because it kind of sucks. <laughs> I have not. So I have not experienced that. But that is the general consensus is that, yes, it, it's <laughs> shitty. It sucks. <laughs> it really is shitty. It's so true. I mean, if you're a big name or you have five or six books ahead, um, because that's what everybody concentrates on, you know, everybody's reading, you know, the 25 most important ones that not Mm -hmm. really giving a lot of time, but, um, but I was surprised, you know, when some people just wrote reviews, I was, it was so nice. Awesome. I know people can be so kind. Yes. (laughs) It's like when you're out on the road and somebody pull, you know, you know that they're having trouble and like 10 people pull off the road. This is what I love about Canadians. You know, they're just, (laughs) yeah, you're just so helpful and kind. (laughs) So aside from all of that, you also have a blog life's brilliant mess and that's launching this year. So what is the blog about and what, what can your readers expect to see there? It's really about life's mess, uh, the brilliance of the mess of life, the loves, the adventures. And, you know, because I think life can be kind of complicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but it's as complicated as you, you know, as you make it, I think. So it's all about those kinds of things, just life's little stuff. I also have a private practice. It's always very nice to sort of use the wellness as well, because I think a lot of people are struggling right now. You want to sort of lend the hand that it's going to be, it's going Mm -hmm. to be okay. But I like the idea of it called Life's Brilliant Mess. And it's all from the vantage point of womanhood. I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm an expert in anything, but I've been a woman for a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so it's just, you know, being a bit of a voyeur and looking at the rhythms of life. And yeah. I love art and inspiration and seriousness and motherhood and wellness. So just exploring all those aspects. Awesome. And what are you working on right now? Do you have another book on the go? I do. I have the sequel to uh, Sadness. I have finished that and it's in the editing process, which is (laughs) becoming very painful. So it's called A Certain Kind of Weakness. I don't know if that's going to be changing, but that's what I want it to be called. It's supposed to come out later this year, but I hear there's a paper shortage and, you know, that's problematic because I know a few of the writers have pushed back their dates Mm -hmm. and I really would prefer not to have another book come out in a pandemic. So it might be spring of next year. There's another book with the series and uh, that is called A Certain Kind of Madness. Okay. And that is going to be a thriller, I believe. Oh. This is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd love to write a thriller. Thrillers are fun. <laughs> they are fun. And you get to be devious. And oh, I think yes. that would be fun to write. Yeah, I that's kind of my jam. The thrillers and, and gothic, you know, like scary, ghosty kind of stuff, haunted houses and that kind of thing. But yes. Yes. Yeah we kind of touched on this already I was going to ask what kind of influences your stories and your writing but it sounds like it's kind of a mix of your own life experiences maybe or or what you've noticed of others yeah I think that that I think that is true I I think there's a few things that are just fascinating to me besides life and people but a lot of times people shock the hell out of me so I'm I'm always trying to understand what motivates them And I am completely fascinated by delusion and reframing events Mm -hmm. Uh, and reframing events that you've reframed because you can't deal with what really happened. I find that completely interesting. And the whole idea about standing in your truth is very misleading Mm-hmm. I think I hear that con- constantly, you know, stand in your own truth. But what happens if your truth is skewed? Yeah. Because even people who have evil intention, they think they're doing the right thing. Right. So their truth is skewed. It's that old adage that, uh, you know, there's 10 people in a room and something happens. You have 10 different truths. Right. Um, because it's very, very subjective. So um, I'm always fascinated when I've been in a situation and somebody retells the tale and that's not what I saw at all. Right. It's just, wow. Yeah. That's what you took from it? 
moly. <laughs> that just, I, yes, I need to have a lie down after that one because that is just taking the stuffing out of me. Yeah. Um, so those, those are kind of the things that I like to include because it's something my mother said years ago that whatever you think they're thinking you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's so true. And I've tried to emulate that in the stories I tell because it's so easy for it to happen. Mm -hmm. And I know it's happened even between my husband and I, and I think people forget that and they get frustrated. Well, why don't you just do it? Or why don't you do it? It's not as simple as that. And I think people get caught up in the circumstance of life. I've seen so many clients do this that the circumstances that they find themselves in, they think it's their destiny or they're fated in some way when it's Mm -hmm. just geography. Mm -hmm. So you have to sort of, you know, decide who it is you want to be inside that circumstance because it, it will pass. Right. Because it always passes. (laughs) Yeah. Somehow, Um, somehow, some way it always does. It always moves to the next thing Mm -hmm. because life is full of cycles. And it's just, it's like changing of the seasons. So Mm -hmm. something will change whether you want to or not. So just because the circumstances is not the way that you had wanted it, it doesn't mean or a reflection of necessarily who you are. Right. I don't think any of us wanted a pandemic, but it, it happened, but that's just life. Yeah. You know, that's just a cycle of life that we have to, for whatever reason, go through and it will end and Mm -hmm. we will move on. But you have to remember it's just a cycle. Yeah. So in regards to your writing, we kind of talked about never really knowing where our story is going to end up once we start writing it, especially when we're writing the characters, right? So do you plan your things out or like, are you a pantser or a plotter or a planter even? You know, I, I don't, I write by scenes. I think of a scene. I always start with dialogue to find the characters. I find the voices first, and then I go from there. Um, And once I know, like when that first scene comes to me, then I sort of think of it in scenes. I build the whole story around the scenes. And I find that easier because then it's easy to find, once you know the scenes, it's easy to find the narrative Mm -hmm. because the discussion has led to the narrative of trying to decipher what the hell just happened there. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so what is your favorite part of the writing process? Is it, is that that discovery or you really like, it sounds like you really like the characters coming up with the characters themselves. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's the nail on the head there. I really like thinking about the story, creating the story. Uh, And usually I get a quite a bit of a good chunk of the story before I actually sit down and write the whole thing or thread it together. I'm old fashioned is I like to write it out and collect it. You know, when I'm thinking of something, I might be working on something else, but if I have a free moment and something comes to me, I'll just write that out very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I just collect them. I just keep collecting them and collecting them. And when I feel that I have enough, like with sadness, I had, you know, about 30,000 words written, you know, in longhand. And I Mm -hmm. just type that. 
and now typing it on top of writing it, I find, okay, Mm -hmm. I know where I'm going. Yeah. (laughs) So it's creating for sure. Yeah. And then the opposite of that, what do you find the most challenging? And then how do you maintain your focus and motivation through it? When on those very rare days, when it's just like pulling teeth, um, it, it didn't happen with sadness, but when I was writing this one, I just hit a, a wall and everything was just taking so long and I just had to keep at it. And sometimes you have to walk away um, and you just need a break. Yeah. And I, I, I took the break. I took a break, not for very long, because I think that's a mistake. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I just took a break. I said, okay, I need to stop mm-hmm. and then figure out what I wanted to do and then went back. Yeah. Great. So that's always when you hit that, oh, crap, I, I've lost the skill to type. I've lost the skill <laughs> to think. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? Oh, sometimes. Yeah. It, it's just no matter what you do, it's just not coming. <laughs> no. And it's not writer's block. It's not that because you know the story, you know where you want to go. Yeah. But it's just the words are not flowing. Yeah. And you know, you write it, then you take it out, you write it, then you take it out. Um, so I think it just happened the once so far, but when I was doing the rewrites, I don't know if this happens to you when it came time to go back to do, uh, the edits, I got so caught up in, it took me a week, a week to edit chapter one. It was heavy in dialogue and it just, And I know the whole story because the whole story is finished. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I know this happens in the story. I should put like a little foreshadowing here. And it just Mm -hmm. took so long to edit it Um, because it's sort of like, this is the first time, even though it's the second book, what if someone didn't read the first book? That's difficult writing a series because what do you put in and what do you take out? And what is redundant? I've never done that before. I've never written something that is an addendum. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, because redundancy is really an issue for me this time around. Mm -hmm. Um, And that if you include scenes, you have to include different scenes, but along the same theme as the ones in the first but are different. So it doesn't bore people who've already read it, but make the people who are now reading it understand what's going on. Yeah, it's it is a very fine line, a difficult one, a very difficult one. Yeah. Nobody said this was going to be easy. Yeah, no, it's not easy. No, (laughs) that's that's why you need that editor friend. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for the listeners, I anytime I have a guest come on to the podcast, I have them fill out a guest author form, and it just kind of lets me get to know them a little bit better and um, what their writing background is, and it just helps me keep everything organized on my end. In your guest author form, you mentioned that you read people's energy, so I'm curious to know whether or not you use that ability when you create your characters for your novels, um, because some authors base the characters at least partially off of people that they know um, but knowing someone from the outside can be a lot different than knowing them on a deeper level so being able to pick up on someone's energy that's I, I'm just wondering what that requires of you 
and how could you or or how have you applied that ability when creating characters? You know, I've never thought about it, but I definitely think that I do. The emotional uh, intricacies of, of people um, have definitely found its way into my writing based on my practice for sure. And you have to be really, really careful. I try not to, you know, you want to let people have their privacy. So uh, unless they're coming to see me and they're asking for my assistance in some way to help them through a difficulty, Mm -hmm. then that is the only time that I sort of read people's, I try to, unless, unless I was giving someone an example and, uh, or they don't believe me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll explain, well, I'll use them as an example. So I will say, okay, you know, I'll just read your energy and I'll, because empathic connections, everybody has them, but mm-hmm. a lot of people just don't hone them. And right. I think that's the only distinction between me and anyone else. So those emotional conversations that I've had, uh, with patients is definitely thought, a lot of thought goes into those motivations and understanding them and, and seeing it in other people. So I would say it does play a big role. I hadn't thought that it did, but I know in my efforts to try to be of service to them and help them through whatever difficulty or challenge they're facing, um, giving them advice and tools, um, it definitely you know, I think in the first book, uh, the main character has panic attacks. And I have a lot of clients who who definitely have anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, different for different reasons. And, you know, trying to get them through the panic attack. Uh, I know it's hard to believe, but I actually do get emergency phone calls. <laughs> Okay. Um, where, you know, they've, they've suddenly are overwhelmed and, uh, they need to just get through the moment. And, uh, hopefully I try to get them through the moment. And so I had her have, she did have a, a stalker in the first one and how traumatizing that is. And I've had lots of young women who've had that problem and, uh, working through the emotions of that, Mm -hmm. um, so I think that it has been, I didn't realize it until you asked the question though. <laughs> and I had to think about that, but yeah. uh, yes, I think you, I guess you use everything in your toolbox, right? Yeah. Even if you don't really realize that's what you're doing. Yeah. 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 yeah I think that's right. Mm-hmm. So let's just circle back to editing for a minute. Um, everybody okay. always says, get your first draft down. Don't edit as you go. I know there's some people out there who do edit as they go. I kind of function that way. So <laughs> I try not to, but I just, it's just the way my brain operates. Um, so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. And are you able to turn off your editor brain and just focus on getting the words on the page? I do focus on getting the words on the page because that was one of the first things I learned from writing the first book. I wrote the first chapter and then I spent a month rewriting that chapter about 10,000 times. (laughs) Um, So I realized that wasn't working for me. So I just needed to move on. And that writing, I learned from that experience as well as layering. So uh, if you just have the dialogue, just have the dialogue and move from there. but 
editing while there's different kinds of edits. Yeah. Like there's the line edit. I wouldn't do that. Right. There's Um, no point in doing that until the end. No, there really isn't. But what I do do is I love a developmental edit. Mm -hmm. You know, the editor is evaluating, critiquing, and guiding you through the process and helping you shape the work while you're still writing it. And that's the thing that Elka really does for me, because I will write, let's say, a good chunk, maybe I'll write 10 chapters, and I will send it to her. And she won't edit it, but she will give me her critique of what has happened, and where, you know, where the holes are. And that's really, really important. Does this work? You know, where does this need to work? What still has to happen? Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at the plot, is is the conflict clearly communicated at the outset? Um, What's at stake? Does the reader know what's at stake? And really are the, you know, the events that are happening in the book, do they make sense? And is the resolution of those unfolding events, do they build on each, is each scene building on the other? And she will see redundancy that I don't see. And the key, I think, is in your characterization, if you're having somebody giving you a developmental edit, they're going to look at your character, you know, are they believable? Yeah. Are the relationships unfolding uh, over the course of the novel? And even your secondary characters, I love secondary characters because they really fuel the story. Because I like a panoramic character. You know, I like a good group because that's how it is with life. You don't always see everyone all the time, but right. they come in and out of your life. And I like it to reflect that. So, that they don't take over the story, but they add a certain je ne sais quoi to the story. And I like that. And checking on pacing, like that's so, so is it moving quickly? Is there too much narrative? Like that kind of thing Mm -hmm. is, I think, I think that's the most important thing is the developmental edit. If I was going to give anyone advice, Mm -hmm. find someone that you really trust because it influences, like when Elka gives me back uh, her notes at the end of each chapter, it influences how I'm going. Right. And exactly. what I'm missing. It's, you know, because I'm not editing it. She's just telling me the holes. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It mm-hmm. so does. And the interesting thing about that process is that while you're writing, you do get derailed. You're, you're moving on. She has mentioned something, you write it into that chapter, but then that affects another chapter. So then you have to go back to that chapter because I like to keep what has happened in each chapter. Like Mm -hmm. I like to keep a running, this is the chapter, you know, this is the argument. This is the, you know, whatever is going on. Mm -hmm. And it makes it easy to go back, find the spot. And, and I don't even have to write it with any kind of detail. I often will leave a note for myself. You know, you need to add this in, come back and do it later. Right. Yeah. Um, I've done that too. 
Yeah, just leave. And I put it in bold and in capital letters. Or if something uh, I want to research, I'll just put research here or find a name for this person. I don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. Come back. And so then I keep on going. I always read the last chapter that I just finished to find out where I'm going. Yeah. Or if I'm in the middle of a chapter and I've walked away, I always reread the beginning of the chapter before I continue. Right. Just to kind of refresh your mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A little, even though I know it intimately. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. (laughs) I think it's just to say, you know, am I shit or am I not? (laughs) (laughs) Because I feel like a talentless fool. Uh, I mean, how many times do we go through that in our mind? Good Lord. Yeah. All the time. (laughs) All the time. So we're just about out of time, but I just have a couple of questions left for you. What do you enjoy more, editing your own work or editing others' work? I think I might know the answer. Definitely others. Yeah. Hands down, other people's down. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, Lord, love is yes. (laughs) Same here. Um, And then lastly, what are your top five tips for when people are going through edits and revisions of their own work? That's a really bloody good question. Um, I have to say, you know, really be cognizant of the plot holes, any gaps, um, characters that you just don't believe, uh, that you can see that they're problematic, that they need more work. And I can't stress enough the developmental edit is so really important, so much so. And I have to say for a lot of inexperienced writers who think it's weird that they, you know, they're not getting it or they're shitty writers or um, they're very harsh with themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, when they get to the stage where they're actually having their work edited uh, professionally, they can't accept any direct or honest feedback because it's hard. It's mm-hmm. difficult, mm-hmm. but uh, it's all in the effort, you know, to, to get better. But when you've sunk so much time, weeks, months, years into something that you've cut and shaped and moved, and you're so critical of yourself, I think you have to agree to leave that outside the door or accept it. Mm -hmm. Just accept that, yeah, you can be a shitty writer. That's not always going to be the case. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you can see talent, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, definitely. So I think that would be, don't be too harsh with yourself. And you're Mm -hmm. going to think that you're a shitty writer because we all do, no matter if you sat at your desk and before you started to do something, did you think, I don't know how to do this? Uh, I may have thought that at the very beginning, but I'm, I'm so determined to, you know, back then I thought, no, I, I've been wanting to do this for a long, long, long time. I love doing it. I want to learn everything I can. And, and I think that that's kind of the make or break. You're either determined or you're not. You either have that passion because it's something that you feel so strongly about or you don't. And the ones that, that make it are the ones that just, they never give up. They know they're shitty to begin with, but they know that they're going to invest time to learn and to hone their skills. And, and that's really what it takes. That's what it comes down to. You have to be willing to learn to accept that feedback and, 
and just keep going and keep improving and looking for the areas that you can improve upon, asking other people's opinions, and then putting the work into it after. And that's really the only way that you're going to get to the level that you need to get to. Absolutely. I mean, and uh, but I think that's what happens with new writers or inexperienced writers. They sit down and think, oh my God, how am I going to do this again? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And it's that harshness with yourself that I think really... Uh, stops people from exploring their creativity, which is a shame, but I agree with you. It's the tenacity. Um, My husband says to me, I'm, I'm, you know, you know, you, you got the book, but it was 20 years in the making. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it really was 20 years in the making. Um, Because by the time you hone all your scans skills and you're ready to sort of, but never stopping. Do you know how many times, and I'm sure you've experienced this, people have told you to give it up, (laughs) you know, or (laughs) writing thing or, uh, you know, when are you going to get a real job? (laughs) Yeah. My favorite question. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's a besiege of doubt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I've talked your ear off. (laughs) Can you tell that I spend the majority of my day alone with people that don't exist? (laughs) Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kathleen. I really appreciate it. That's a nice Irish name, Kathleen. That was, it was my grandmother's name. It's been great. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something and I hope you find the character development bit helpful. If there's anything about writing or publishing that you're wondering about and would love to have covered on the podcast, please reach out on my Twitter or my website. I would love to hear about it. Until next time, keep being badass.